From the Moon Broadcast Center at KPCC, this is The Frame. I'm John Horn. On today's show, who is and who isn't getting paid in Hollywood these days? Then with theaters shut down, the filmmakers of The Climb won't see their movie open this weekend, but they're gaining perspective. We've been so sort of in the rat race of trying to you know, release a movie and, and super focused on this project, but um, taking a step back and looking at you know, just the world at large and where our priorities lie. And R&B singer and violinist Sudan Archives shares her most inspiring YouTube videos. That's today in The Frame. We'll be right back. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Virtually all production is shut down in Hollywood, so for the people who are supposed to be working, including those with contracts, the question now is, will they get paid? Agents, managers, and lawyers are trying to figure that out, but as the global pandemic continues to take us into uncharted territory, answers might be difficult. Bryn Sandberg is a senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter, and she's been looking into what the COVID-19 shutdown means for people who work in the entertainment industry. Bryn, welcome back to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. So let's first talk about a legal term. It's called force majeure. And as I understand it, it essentially relates to unforeseeable circumstances that prevent a contract from being enforced. How might it apply here? Well, John, that definitely um, applies here. When we typically see, you know, force majeure events, it's it's in relation to labor strikes, which is what happened in the 2007 to 2008 writer's strike, or it is related to a natural disaster like a wildfire or an earthquake, but those are usually local. So the fact that this is a, a global pandemic, it means that it's triggering simultaneous industry wide shutdowns that kind of force majeure event is sort of without precedent in Hollywood. So a couple of weeks ago, was that something that companies were really thinking about, that it gave them the option of shutting down a production and not having to worry about being on the hook to pay people? Yeah, I think that these studios, of course, know that, you know, they have this power, if you will, um, in in an event like this. And, And there was a period of time where you know, I think people didn't know, was it was it safe to be around people? Could we stay in production? And so and then when it became increasingly clear that that wasn't going to be safe, that's, of course, when when the studios started taking these steps to suspend. And again, they a lot of them will reassess. I know Netflix, for example, their shutdowns were they said for two weeks before they'll, you know, reconsider. Um, and so when that when that two week mark hits, we'll we'll start to see what some of these studios are going to do with their major projects, how long, you know, they can keep them on hold and and how we all move forward. Does that mean that for some companies during that two week window, they are continuing to pay their cast and crew and then they'll reassess that decision? Right. So this is this this is the interesting question. And this is what, of course, you know, many actors, writers, directors, producers, you know, they all want to know 
okay, what about my pay? Am I still going to get paid during this time? And that's really a big question mark. I, I spoke with a lot of these, these reps, you know, managers, agents, lawyers, and it seems like in a, a force majeure event like this, the studios really, like I said, they have a tremendous amount of latitude and they do not necessarily have to fulfill contracts. But that being said, it doesn't mean that um, that certain companies are not still paying people. So, you know, NBC suspended SNL for the next three shows, but they've still committed to paying their employees for those three weeks as though they were working. Um, Netflix as well and NBC Universal, you know, I heard were, were continuing to pay some of their crew that were going to be working on those shows for these two weeks during the the shutdown. So once that period of time is up and and these companies do reassess um, and should, you know, they, they hold these productions indefinitely, then it becomes much less likely that they will continue to, to pay people and, and hold people in their contracts. We're talking with Bryn Sandberg, a senior writer at the Hollywood reporter about pay during production shutdowns. One of the things that's critical, I think, to a lot of people in the business is they are essentially freelancers. They're gig workers. They have sporadic work. And if they're laid off for a long period of time, they might not qualify for unemployment or health insurance. Have there been conversations about how those people might be protected, even on, say, a federal level? There have been calls for you know, the government to step in and, and help given how unprecedented this, you know, the situation is. I do not know that there's been any resolution yet or any consensus about what is going to happen. I think we're in this murky period of time where we're waiting to see what does happen. On top of all of this, there are labor negotiations and contracts that were happening before the coronavirus pandemic. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers was starting talks with the Writers Guild of America. How might collective bargaining be affected by all of this and might it actually benefit one side on the bargaining table? That's a great question. This is a this is a subject that came up a lot when I was talking to these reps because, you know, this has been their life for really the past year because the writers, you know, have fired their their agents and then we're about to to enter these contract negotiations with the studios. One lawyer told me that, you know, it now feels like all the time that we spent talking about the WGA and the ATA and the potential strike issues was just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, it's now put into this uh, this whole other perspective. And and really, it's depending on who you talk to, you will hear different things about who might benefit from this the most in terms of those those negotiations. Some managers, lawyers, and agents will say, you know, the writers have less leverage now because what are they going to go on on strike about? And then you have, you know, I talked to writers who said, I think that this, you know, helps us because any plans that studios had to rush development and script production, you know, before the May deadline which is what they were doing to, to prepare themselves if a writer strike were to happen. Um, you know, those, those plans have been shattered and, and now they need writers, you know, working more than ever to, to create content. And so um, in terms of, you know, when the actual contract negotiations will happen now, uh, that's another big question mark because they were supposed to kick off those talks officially on March 23rd, um, which is Monday. And it seems unlikely that that's going to, to move forward on that date now. Bryn Sandberg is a senior writer at The Hollywood Reporter. Bryn, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Stay safe. Thanks for having me, John. You too. 
And one update, Ted Sarandos, the chief content officer at Netflix, said today that the streamer has established a $100 million fund to help those hardest hit by the outbreak, including workers on Netflix's own productions. Coming up on The Frame, the two filmmakers behind The Climb have spent the last year promoting their debut feature. Now it's been put on the shelf. Alleyist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. With social distancing, movie theaters have closed and film festivals like the glitzy Cannes Fest have been postponed. At the same time, some recent theatrical releases, including Onward, The Hunt, and Birds of Prey, are being hurried onto video on demand and streaming platforms. But not all movies are getting that same express lane treatment. One film that was supposed to open this weekend and won't is The Climb. In the film, best friends are riding bikes up a mountain in France when this happens. I don't have to change to be with her, you know? Remember how Marissa made me get that Rob Thomas haircut and Tina made me be an atheist for a year? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Ava isn't like that. She loves me for who I am. And, and I love her for who she is. I, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with her. Kyle, I slept with Ava. What? What do you mean slept? Like we slept, we sexually slept together. Uh, oh my god. I'm gonna f- kill you. Uh, I'm gonna f- kill you. Uh, when? When? When did you sleep together? I don't know the exact dates. I didn't. Dates? Dude, slow down. You should pace yourself. Ah! Uh, ah! Uh, ah! Uh, ah! Uh, ah! Uh, ah! How long? Like a quarter mile? No, how long has this been going on? When did it start? When she moved to New York. The Climb is co-written by and stars real-life best friends Michael Angelo Covino and Kyle Marvin. Mike also directed the film. This week, I reached them on opposite coasts. Uh, I'm in Connecticut up with my, uh, with my parents. Kyle, what about you? Uh, I am in Altadena with my family. Uh I was looking at a couple of stories. The uh, Here's a story from March 13th from IndieWire talking about your film. The boisterous and innovative buddy comedy was acquired by Sony Picture Classics after its festival launch, and the company still plans to release it on March 20 in New York and Los Angeles. And then three days later in Deadline, Sony Pictures Classics bromance comedy The Climb will not be opening this coming weekend. So what is it like? I mean, that's three days apart, and obviously a lot's going on in the world. The whipsaw of it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. Now we don't know what's going to happen. Well, you know, what's interesting about uh, um, our experience of how this has all transpired is we were on the road doing a press tour, traveling like almost every day uh, to a different city and and doing local press there. And, um, you know, it, it was like you would just see the evolution of, of things changing and people responding differently and the news uh, sort of, uh, so, so I think we, we sort of 
we got a pretty good sense early on that things were evolving pretty quickly. And, and, um, I think we were, you know, obviously hoping that, uh, that thing, that life as usual would be allowed to continue so we could, you know, release our film. But, uh, you know, when, when you're dealing with like a global pandemic, I don't think, uh, I think it's all put in perspective pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think we, for, this is Kyle, we, we, we sort of think of it rather as like, this is a, um, just another push. I mean, we've been on the road with this movie for 10 months. So we're sort of at this point accustomed to continuing to extend our, our run at promoting this movie and, and getting it out there. So for us, you know, we're, we're looking forward to, to when we can show it in theaters and less concerned about, well, you know, the effects it's had on us looking backwards. There's just no, no room for it now. I will add that in September of last year, I interviewed both of you as we rode up Glendora Mountain Road a little bit east of Pasadena. I had a little mechanical problem where my bike would not shift out of a very difficult gear. Now the fun starts. Just, just for the listeners. Thank God I've got the grade. wrong gear. We're now hitting the, we're now hitting the hill. So 5% grade. I'm in I my don't know big how you didn't ask questions right <laughs> If John's out of breath for most of this, it's because he's out of the saddle. Um, <laughs> But when you think back at all of the things that you've had to do or had the opportunity to do in talking about the the film, does it make you a little wistful that all of those things right now, at least, are put on hold, that you can't share the film having talked about it for almost a year now? I mean, yeah. Kyle, you can you can. Yeah, I was going to say for sure for us, you know, we've been we've been focused so much on releasing at this time and so much has gone into it. And for us, that's you know, something that we're going to have to, you know, deal with. But in the grand scheme of things, I think that as long as we stay focused and as long as we sort of push to be in theaters when all of this passes and people want to get back to to movie theaters and get back to sort of a, a normality of life and want some entertainment, then we'll be there with a movie that uh, hopefully makes them laugh. Yeah, I mean, I think if this if this whole thing is showing us anything, it's like it's like how, I mean, I'm, I'm in my house for three four days now and I'm already pent up and wanting to go to a movie theater and can't. And so I, 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 to me, it's like a very, we don't know what we have until it's sort of taken away. And I think there's something really interesting when we talk about like, Oh, what, what is the future of, of theaters and cinema? And, and then we now can't go to movie theaters. And I, I personally really um, crave that interaction of sitting in a theater with, other human beings, but also just getting out of the house for it. We're talking with Kyle Martin and Mike Covino about their film, The Climb. You guys probably both noticed the decision by Universal Pictures to put its upcoming Trolls movie and two of its current releases on video on demand platforms immediately. And uh, Warner Brothers also said it would accelerate the video on demand release of Birds of Prey. It feels like this could be a moment where the fundamental equation of how movies are released and whether or not they go to theaters and then wait three months before they're streaming or on video on demand might be changing as we speak. Have you guys felt the same way that we might be at a real pivotal moment in the future of exhibition and how audiences see movies? I mean, I think we're still very much of the mindset that theaters are still important and the theatrical experience is still alive and well, and that there's a, a growing audience of people who, you know, are, are seeing movies in theaters and having 
these theatrical experiences. And there's there's a thing to be said about putting your cell phone down and not being able to look at it and being forced to stare at a screen in a dark room and the effect that has of that piece of art on you in that setting. You know, for some of these bigger studio films, I think that's that's maybe a different equation than what we're dealing with because we have the luxury of of maybe saying, yeah, we'll ride this out. You know, we we, we can release whenever we're going to release because we're going to be you know, it's the specialty box office, which is a very different thing. And I think the financial burden that we that we're we're our our, our goals at the box office are very different than maybe you know a, a bigger uh, studio film. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out, and when the theaters open back up, you know, what if there is this sort of surge of people going back to the movie theaters right afterwards? I want to ask you a couple of questions. How are you staying sane? And how are you staying sane as as artists? Because those are two different questions. Kyle, why don't you go first? Yeah, I, I mean, for for me, I think the staying sane. I have my family, and and we're all here, and, and in this together, and playing board games, and staying busy, and and staying creative. I think you know, for as a writer, what you're trying to find is a time where you're forced to sit in a room and quietly work, do your work. So there's a blessing for me on the writing front to be focused and stay, stay in and not go out and sit in front of my computer and, and write, which is what I need to do now anyway. So Mike, I I think, I think, you know, uh, we, we have the luxury of, um, you know, being in a position as writers where we can work and, and be the most productive in the, in these moments. Um, so that, that's something we don't take for granted. And, and certainly, you know, with the release of this film, which has been really consuming a lot of our time, it's it's uh, pretty fantastic to just press the pause on on a lot of that and just uh, you know ha- Kyle and I hop on the phone for a couple hours a day and really talk through some of these bigger ideas with movies that we're writing and and, and scripts that we've been trying to finish um, and then you know there, there's also these moments in time that just allow you to like reflect and uh, and gain perspective on on what's important in life and I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that Kyle and I have been discussing is you know we've been so sort of in the rat race of, of trying to, you know, release a movie and, and super focused on this project and, and it's significance to us, but um, taking a step back and looking at, you know, just the world at large and where our priorities are. For me, I think the, the beautiful thing is that I've just been inundated with phone calls from all my friends and people I work with and everyone's really um, open and yeah. having these conversations about checking in on each other's well being, And that's a, that's a beautiful thing for me to to experience in these moments like this where everyone sort of rallies together and reaches out and checks on each other. Mike Covino is the director, co-writer, and star of The Climb. Kyle Marvin is the film's co-writer and co-star. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck with the movie. There'll be a lot of pent-up demand whenever it is. We do get to see The Climb in theaters. Good luck and stay healthy. Thank stay, you. you stay. Take care. Coming up on The Frame, what do African folk songs have in common with Irish fiddle music? The artist known as Sudan Archives has the answer.
As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. If self-quarantine has you spending way too much time on YouTube, our next musician can relate. Sudan Archives is an unconventional singer and songwriter. She's a self-taught violinist and draws from a wide range of influences, from R&B and rock to Sudanese and Irish folk music. She released her debut album, Athena, last year to great acclaim. When she spoke with Frame producer Jonathan Shiflett, she shared some of the YouTube videos that inspire her. Hello, I'm Sudan Archives. I actually am really inspired by a lot of like guitar lead artists because I just feel like there's a connection between like that type of music and like fiddle music, you know? It's just like. And the way that they like shred on the guitar, I'm trying to like sing and play, but on the violin. I started playing violin in fourth grade because a group of fiddlers came to my school. And I saw them kind of like standing up and like dancing and playing violin at the same time. That's when I was like, okay, I want to play violin because that's really cool. So I was just, I kept asking my mom and she was like, okay, let's do it. Do you violin? But we, since we moved around to so many different schools, um, you know, when I went to another school, they didn't have orchestra. So I basically just kept playing violin in church. I developed learning how to play by ear by playing in church. If I wasn't playing there, I wouldn't be so DIY and just know how to just like pick up melodies and just like play them because I had to learn how to do that with all of their songs. And then I remember in high school, I would just like listen to BT or MTV Countdown and I would try to replicate like the music on the violin and then I remember people would be like oh that's so cool she can play this Jamie Foxx song (laughs) well I feel like I always I have this like deep Irish fiddle kind of upbringing but I made that connection with a lot of like the African folk music and the way that they build their songs though when they sing and play it's like the voice plays for a little bit and then it's the violin and then it's the voice and it's the violin and they're almost like just talking back to each other but repeating what they're saying and I probably was listening to a lot of this music when I was making songs like Come My Way So this is like traditional Sudanese kind of music This song is um, from Aisha Alafalatia, and she's like one of the first female singers to make it on the radio or something. But I really like the way that the song format, this is probably one of the first songs 
that I heard from Sudan and I was like so into just like the arrangement of the song. So it has this like violin riff, you know? And then she like comes in and then it's like, they just start like talking to each other. And then he, she has like some man singers too. I thought that was kind of cool. In Sudan, they play like, they also play like these other violin instruments. This is like some folky stuff. This sounds like it could be like an Irish jig, but it's not. They're in northern Ghana, I think. But he's playing on a horsehair string, and he only has one string. And the top part of the instrument is made out of like a cow head or a snake head, and it's nailed down to coconut. But it sounds very like connected to Celtic music to me, like fiddle, Irish stuff. This is one of my favorite ones. Like, I feel like somebody's about to be like, oh, give it to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then. This other girl, I really like her because she's she just gives me like Bjork vibes, but she's like violinist. <laughs> her name's Eva Betova, and she's Czech. And it's just her and her violin. I've never seen what I don't know what she was doing. She's like plucking with her pinky, but still bowing at the same time. That's hard. So I was listening to all this stuff because I needed to hear like some wild, like unconventional. I just wanted to hear something that felt like different to me and like a different approach to string playing to get me to like think outside the box, you know, because when you grow up in like America, you think of the violin and you think it's supposed to go a certain way. And then when people want you to be a part of their band, they want you to play a certain way. And I've never wanted to be in a band because they just want me to play something really cute and pretty. But I kind of want to be like, in a screamo band playing violin. I'd rather be in a screamo band and playing some weird shit than playing like a cute little note, like, meow, you know? I don't really know how to be that kind of violinist. And that is all for today. But remember to tune in to The Frame Weekend Saturday afternoon at 2. And thanks to Taylor McFerrin, who supplies our opening theme music. And one more note before we go, if you're stuck at home and wondering what to watch, KPCC has you covered when you donate $5 a month to help KPCC reach our spring fundraising goal. We'll thank you with five streaming movie rentals from Fandango Now so you can watch the latest movies and the classics that you can't find on other streaming services. Give now at kpcc.org and thank you very much for keeping our station strong. We need your support more than ever. I'm John Horn at the Moan Broadcast Center. Stay well. Stay well.